Section 21 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Cathy Barrett. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 30. Francis I and the Reformation, Part 1. Nearly half a century before the Reformation made any noise in France, it had burst out with great force and had established its footing in Germany, Switzerland, and England. John Huss and Jerome of Prague, both born in Bohemia, one in 1373 and the other in 1378, had been condemned as heretics and burned at Constance, one in 1415 and the other in 1416, by decree and in the presence of the council which had been there assembled but at the commencement of the sixteenth century luther in germany and Zwingle in switzerland had taken in hand the work of the reformation and before half that century had rolled by they had made the foundations of their new church so strong that their powerful adversaries with charles v at their head felt obliged to treat with them and recognize their position in the european world though all the while disputing their right in england henry the eighth under the influence of an unbridled passion as all his passions were, for Anna Boleyn, had in 1531 broken with the Church of Rome, whose Pope, Clement Seventh refused very properly to pronounce him divorced from his wife Catherine of Aragon, and the king had proclaimed himself the spiritual head of the English Church without meeting either amongst his clergy or in his kingdom with any effectual opposition. Thus, in these three important states of Western Europe, the reformers had succeeded, and the religious revolution was in process of accomplishment in france it was quite otherwise not that there too there were not amongst christians profound dissensions and ardent desires for religious reform we will dwell directly upon its explosion its vicissitudes and its characteristics but france did not contain as germany did several distinct states independent and pretty strong though by no means equally so which could offer to the different creeds a secure asylum and could form one with another coalitions capable of resisting the head of that incohesive coalition which was called the empire of germany in the sixteenth century on the contrary the unity of the french monarchy was established and it was all throughout its whole extent subject to the same laws and the same master as regarded the religious bodies as well as the body politic in this monarchy however there did not happen to be at the date of the sixteenth century a sovereign audacious enough and powerful enough to gratify his personal passions at the cost of embroiling himself like henry the eighth with the spiritual head of christendom and from the mere desire for a change of wife to change the regimen of the church in his dominions francis i on the contrary had scarcely ascended the throne when by abolishing the pragmatic sanction and signing the concordat of fifteen sixteen he attached himself more closely to the papacy the nascent reformation then did not meet in france with either of the two important circumstances politically considered which in germany and in england rendered its first steps more easy and more secure it was in the cause of religious creeds alone and by means of moral force alone that she had to maintain the struggles in which she engaged at the beginning of the sixteenth century there lived at a small castle near gap in dauphiny in the bosom of a noble and unostentatiously pious family a young man of ardent imagination fiery temperament and energetic character who shared his relatives creeds and joined in their devotions but grew weary of the monotony of his thoughts and of his life William Farrell heard talk of another young man, his contemporary and neighbor, Peter du Terrail, even now almost famous under the name of Bayard. 
Quote, Such sons, was said in his hearing, are as arrows in the hand of a giant. Blessed is he who has his quiver full of them. End quote. Young Farrell pressed his father to let him go too and make himself a man in the world. The old gentleman would willingly have permitted his son to take up such a life as Bayard's, but it was towards the University of Paris, quote, that mother of all the sciences, that pure and shining mirror of the faith, end quote, that the young man's aspirations were directed. The father at first opposed, but afterwards yielded to his wishes, and about 1510 William Farrell quitted Gap and arrived at Paris. The questions raised by the councils of Bale and Florence, and by the semi-political, semi-ecclesiastical assembly at Tours, which had been convoked by Louis the Twelfth, the instruction at the Parisian University, and the attacks of the Sorbonne on the study of Greek and Hebrew, branded as heresy, were producing a lively agitation in the public mind. A doctor of theology, already advanced in years, of small stature, of mean appearance, and of low origin, Jacques Lefebvre by name, born at Etaples in Picardy, had for seventeen years, filled with great success, a professorship in the university. Quote, Amongst many thousands of men, said Erasmus, you will not find any of higher integrity or more versed in polite letters. Quote, he is very fond of me, wrote Zwingle about him. He is perfectly open and good. He argues, he sings, he plays, and he laughs with me at the follies of the world. End quote. Some circumstance or other brought the young student and the old scholar together. They liked one another and soon became friends. Farrell was impressed by his master's devotion as well as learning. He saw him on his knees at church praying fervently, and quote, never, said he, had I seen a chanter of mass who chanted it with deeper reverence. End quote but this old-fashioned piety did not interfere at all with the freedom of the professor's ideas and conversations touching either the abuses or the doctrines of the church quote, how shameful it is he would say to see a bishop soliciting people to drink with him caring for naught but gaming constantly handling the dice in the dice-box constantly hunting hallooing after birds and game frequenting bad houses religion has but one foundation but one end, but one head, Jesus Christ blessed forever. He alone trod the wine-press. Let us not, then, call ourselves by the name of St. Paul, or Apollos, or St. Peter. These free conversations worked, not all at once, but nonetheless effectually, upon those who heard them. Quote, the end was, says Farrell, that little by little the papacy slipped from its place in my heart. It did not come down at the first shock. End quote at the same time that he thus talked with his pupils lefebvre of etaples published a commentary on the epistles of st paul and then a commentary on the gospels quote, christians said he are those only who love jesus christ and his word may everything be illumined by his light through it may there be a return of times like those of that primitive church which devoted to jesus christ so many martyrs may the lord of the harvest foreseeing a new harvest send new and diligent laborers my dear william he added turning to farrell and taking his hand god will renew the world and you will see it it was not only professors and pupils scholars grown old in meditation and young folks eager for truth liberty action and renown who welcomed passionately those boundless and undefined hopes those yearnings towards a brilliant and at the same time a vague future at which they looked forward, according to the expression used by Lefebvre of Etaples to Farrell, to a, quote, renewal of the world, end quote. 
men holding a social position very different from that of the philosophers, men with minds formed on an acquaintance with facts and in the practice of affairs, took part in this intellectual and religious ferment, and protected and encouraged its fervent adherents. William Briconnet, Bishop of Meaux, a prelate who had been Louis XII's ambassador to Pope Julius II, and one amongst the negotiators of Francis I's Concordat with Leo X, opened his diocese to the preachers and writers recommended to him by his friend Lefebvre of Etaples, and supported them in their labors for the translation and propagation amongst the people of the Holy Scriptures. They had at court, and near the king's own person, the avowed support of his sister, Princess Marguerite, who was beautiful, sprightly, affable, kind, disposed towards all lofty and humane sentiments as well as all intellectual pleasures, and an object of the sometimes rash attentions of the most eminent and most different men of her time, Charles V, the Constable de Bourbon, Admiral Bonivet, and Clément Marot. Marguerite, who was married to the Duc d'Alençon, widowed in 1525, and married a second time in 1527, to Henri d'Albret, King of Navarre, was all her life at Pau and at Nérac, as well as at Paris, a centre, a focus of social, literary, religious, and political movement. Quote, the king, her brother, loved her dearly, says Brantome, and always called her his darling. Very often, when he had important business, he left it to her, waiting for her definitive and conclusive decision. The ambassadors who talked with her were enchanted by her, and always went to see her after having paid their first ambassadorial visit. She had so great a regard and affection for the king, that when she heard of his dangerous illness, she said, Whosoever shall come to my door, and announce to me the recovery of the king my brother, such courier, should he be tired and worn out and muddy and dirty, I will go and kiss and embrace, as if he were the sprucest prince and gentleman of France. And should he be in want of a bed, and unable to find one whereon to rid him of his weariness, I would give him mine, and I would rather lie on the hard for the good news he brought me. She was suspected of inclining to the religion of Luther, but she never made any profession or sign thereof and if she believed it she kept it in her heart very secret inasmuch as the king did hate it sorely quote. Quote, the heresy was seen glimmering here and there says another contemporary witness florimond de raymond in his histoire de l'hérésie but it appeared and disappeared like a nightly meteor which has but a flickering brightness at bottom this reserve was quite in conformity with the mental condition of that class or as one might be inclined to say that circle of reformers at court luther and swingle had distinctly declared war on the papacy henry the eighth had with a flourish separated england from the romish church marguerite de valois and bishop briconnet neither wished nor demanded so much they aspired no further than to reform the abuses of the romish church by the authority of that church itself in concert with its heads and according to its traditional regimen. They had no idea of more than dealing kindly and even sympathetically with the liberties and the progress of science and human intelligence. Confined within these limits, the idea was legitimate and honest enough, but it showed want of foresight and was utterly vain. When, whether in state or church, the vices and defects of government have lasted for ages and become habits not only inveterate but closely connected with powerful personal interests, a day at last comes when the deplorable result is seen in pig-headedness and weakness. Then there is an explosion of deep-seated and violent shocks from which infinitely more is expected than they can accomplish, and which, even when they are successful, cost the people very dear, for their success is sullied and incomplete. 
a certain amount of good government and general good sense is a necessary preface and preparation for any good sort of reform happy the nations who are spared by their wisdom or their good fortune the cruel trial of only obtaining such reforms as they need when they have been reduced to prosecute them beneath the slings and arrows of outrageous revolution christian france in the sixteenth century was not so favorably situated during the first years of francis i's reign from fifteen fifteen to fifteen twenty young and ardent reformers such as william farrell and his friends were but isolated individuals eager after new ideas and study very favorable towards all that came to them from germany but without any consistency yet as a party and without having committed any striking act of aggression against the roman church nevertheless they were even then so far as the heads and the devoted adherents of that church were concerned objects of serious disquietude and jealous supervision the sorbonne in particular pronounced vehemently against them luther and his progress were beginning to make a great noise in france after his discussion with dr eck at leipzig in fifteen nineteen he had consented to take for judges the universities of erfurt and paris on the twentieth of january fifteen twenty the quester of the nation of france bought twenty copies of luther's conference with dr eck to distribute amongst the members of his committee the university gave more than a year to its examination Quote, all europe says crevier was waiting for the decision of the university of paris whenever an incident occurred or a question arose quote, we shall see said they of the sorbonne what sort of folks hold to luther why that fellow is worse than luther in april fifteen twenty one the university solemnly condemned luther's writings ordering that they should be publicly burned and that the author should be compelled to retract the syndic of the sorbonne noel bedier who to give his name a classical twang was called beda had been the principal and the most eager actor in this procedure he was a theologian full of subtlety obstinacy harshness and hatred Quote, in a single beda there are three thousand monks erasmus used to say of him the syndic had at court two powerful patrons the king's mother louise of savoy and the chancellor duprat both decided enemies of the reformers louise of savoy in consequence of her licentious morals and her thirst for riches duprat by reason of the same thirst and of his ambition to become an equally great lord in the church as in the state and he succeeded for in fifteen twenty five he was appointed archbishop of sens they were moreover both of them opposed to any liberal reform and devoted in any case to absolute power Beaucaire de Peguilhem, a contemporary and most Catholic historian, for he accompanied the Cardinal of Lorraine to the Council of Trent, calls Duprat, quote, the most vicious of bipeds, end quote. Such patrons did not lack hot-headed executants of their policy. Friendly relations had not ceased between the reformers and their adversaries. A Jacobin monk, de Roma by name, was conversing one day at Meaux with Farrell and his friends. The reformers expressed the hopes they had in the propagation of the gospel, de roma all at once stood up shouting quote, then i and all the rest of the brotherhood will preach a crusade we will stir up the people and if the king permits the preaching of your gospel we will have him expelled by his own subjects from his own kingdom fanatical passions were already at work though the parties were too unequal as yet to come to actual force against such passions the reformers found francis i a very indecisive and very inefficient protector quote, I wish, said he, to give men of letters special marks of my favor. 
when deputies from the sorbonne came and requested him to put down the publication of learned works taxed with heresy quote, i do not wish he replied to have those folks meddled with to persecute those who instruct us would be to keep men of ability from coming to our country but in spite of his language orders were given to the bishops to furnish the necessary funds for the prosecution of heretics and when the charge of heresy became frequent francis i no longer repudiated it Quote, those people he said do nothing but bring trouble into the state End quote. Troubles, indeed, in otherwise tranquil provinces where the Catholic faith was in great force, often accompanied the expression of those wishes for reform to which the local clergy themselves considered it necessary to make important concessions. A serious fire took place at Troyes in 1524. Quote, it was put down, says M. Boutillot, a learned and careful historian of that town, to the account of the new religious notions as well as to that of the Emperor Charles V's friends and the Constable de Bourbon's partisans as early as fifteen twenty there had begun to be felt at troyes the first symptoms of repressive measures directed against the reformation in fifteen twenty three fifteen twenty seven and fifteen twenty eight provincial councils were held at meaux lyons rouen bourges and paris to oppose the lutherans these councils drew up regulations tending to reformation of morals and of religious ceremonies they decided that the administration of the sacraments should take place without any demand for money and that preachers in their sermons should confine themselves to the sacred books and not quote poets or profane authors they closed the churches to profane assemblies and burlesques or fêtes des fous they ordered the parish priests in their addresses or au prône to explain the gospel of the day they ruled that a stop should be put to the abuses of excommunication they interdicted the publication of any book on religious subjects without the permission of the bishop of the diocese troyes at that time contained some enlightened men william bude or budeus was in uninterrupted communication with it the pitou family represented by their head peter pitou a barrister at troyes and a man highly thought of were in correspondence with the reformers especially with lefebvre of etaples and thus was going on throughout almost the whole of france partly in the path of liberty partly in that of concessions partly in that of hardships the work of the reformation too weak as yet and too disconnected to engage to any purpose in a struggle but even now sufficiently widespread and strong to render abortive any attempt to strangle it End of section twenty one